And if you're, I mean, a lot of times our regular folks, we take advantage or not take advantage. We, we just assume you're going to be here, but I'm encouraged that you're here, that you're sharing in, uh, in this time together. Thankful for the songs that we just sang and, and uh, just the, um, the fellowship that we're, we're having. I hope you'll be blessed by being here today. I know you will be uh, by being here today. Uh, my, my morning started off a little bit uh, different. Uh, you know, got dressed, and me and sweaters don't do well together. That's why God put me in the South Pacific for 15 years. I couldn't get my sweater to do right. It's always getting twisted, and Julia's trying to fix it, and she can't fix it. She's like, something's wrong. And so I came, we came here, and I was down, went down the other side of the building and saw Julia, and she's trying to fix it again, and Kyra tried to fix it, and just wasn't working. And uh, suddenly Julie goes, uh, oh, you have your sweater on backwards. <laughs> so if you're uncomfortable today in your sweater, check, it might be on backwards. Like I said, me and sweaters don't do well. Uh, you know, this, uh, let me mention, uh, just point out something in your bulletin uh, quickly. In the first page at the very at the bottom, it says, 2019, let's go on a great journey together. Read that very brief uh, blurb there. The elders have been working very hard for uh, several months with many of the ministry leaders trying to make plans for next year. And we're talking about going on a journey together. So just pay attention. You might see some signposts come up soon and some different uh, thoughts that will be brought to you. And, and hopefully next, uh, nothing bad about this year, but next year we may have something good to look forward to. Um, you know, I'm, I always am, uh, in, I don't know what to do during holidays. I'm not a, much of a holiday person. I'm not a Scrooge or a Grinch, but I lean that way a little bit. And so, uh, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, should I do a Christmas sermon and all this, you know, comes up. And I, I like uh, Nathan, believe that, you know, this is the season where people are singing Christmas songs and thinking about Jesus and his birth, and, and I think that's a great uh, time for us to uh, you know, lift up that awareness to everyone about the Lord and, and his uh, coming. And so I can't really think of a better way to continue that than going through the series that we're doing right now from Numbers chapter 6. I mean, this encompasses Christmas. This encompasses Christ. And so it's re continually refocusing our lives on why we're here and the, and the birth and the life and the death of Jesus. So we're going to continue this ironic blessing that we have been for the last two weeks. We'll be doing it this week and finishing uh, next week, I believe, at the end of the year. Reading this with you, Numbers chapter 6, it says, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you, upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. One thing I really love about this congregation are, is the feedback that I get. I, I, and I'm talking about positive, negative, and you know, both ways. And there's a couple of items from last week. A couple of people asked me some questions. I want to just briefly mention those because if they had the questions, others may have it too. But I mentioned 
that one of the things we need to do is learn how to love God back. And the question was asked, well, how do you do that? Because that's a very abstract thought. God is abstract. He's a spirit. So how do you love God back? And so I was trying to show, well, how do we, how we do that? God gives us very concrete ways to love him. And we can go to 1 John. We've been there a long, a long time in the past. But here's a couple of passages. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, This is love. This is love for God to obey his commands. So there we have a, a key. And automatically, we run to our Old Testament thinking and say, Well, what's the list of commands to, to keep? You know, what's the five commands, ten commands, fifteen? You know? And we, through deductive reasoning, try to come up with all the commands that will please God. Well, he told us in chapter 3 what it is. Chapter 3, click, there you go. And this is his command. To believe in the name of, the son, of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. And so here's how you love God back. Number one is that faith in Jesus, centering your life in Jesus. And what I, mean by, what I mean by that when I say believe in the name or faith in Jesus is living a Jesus-centered, a Christ-centered life. That's the focus of my life when I walk out of here all week long until I return here. That's faith. And then this is the hard part in how to love one another. You want a really concrete way of how to love God, love the people around you. And some of you are really lovable, and some of you aren't. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. You may be saying the same to you. Well, that's true. And... And, uh, but that, that's the point, is that we learn how to love even the people we don't like. And that's how we show our love for God. It's real simple. So we say, learn to love God back very concretely is how, what's your relationships? Let's work on those. Secondly, I referred to a song by William Cooper. Uh, he, uh, God moves in, in a mysterious way. And I talked about how I struggled with the line, behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face. And I'd always connected the frown to his face, his presence, and uh, was talking about that a little. And uh, William Greenleaf came up to me and, and Janice afterwards and gave me some insight to this that I really, it makes me be able to sing this song in good conscience now. Um, we, we see the frown not as the person of God or the face of God, but as the circumstances of life. That's what providence is, the circumstances of life. We go through life, the difficulties of life, the struggles that we have, and sometimes we say, where is God? Where is God in the midst of these problems and struggles and death and hurt and pain? Where is God? And it seems by looking at that providence, we see a, a frown, a frown. But in the context of the song, we see that God is in control. William Cooper is trying to say God is in control no matter what. And so we look at the context of the song, and he says, I'm going to bring history to a completion. I'm going to bring life to a completion, and I'm smiling. You might not see the reasoning behind these things, but my goodness is here. And that's God's smile. I wanted to, I wanted to play this song. Uh, and feel free to sing along with it, but I know many people do not, maybe the younger, maybe the younger people do not, I, I don't know that for a fact, 
Many of you may not know this song. The older people, I'm almost certain you do, but it's a beautiful song, not only in music, but in words. And it's high poetry, <clears throat> in a sense, it's good poetry. And so it's one of those songs that you have to sing over and over and think about. And I, I'm, I have the words up here so you can follow along. And I know you have to think. I was raised on the Beatles and you know other people like that, so our lyrics was, I love you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's as deep <laughs> as it got. All right, so this is deeper than that. All right, and so for, for us who were raised on light poetry, this is a little bit heavier, but, but it's beautiful. He's taking the scriptures, and he's trying to bring this out. So let's, it's two minutes long, so let's listen to this get together. words uh, to think about and ponder on. William Cooper was, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, it looks like Calvert, but it's, I believe it's pronounced Cooper, was a man who struggled with depression uh, for a while he was in a home of the insane. I read this in a book that the Greenleafs uh, lent to me. And so many of you who struggle with your emotions can relate to this man in many ways. One thing that saved him was his friendship with John Newton. He, they became neighbors, and John Newton, who's the author of Amazing Grace and many other songs, befriended him and helped him through uh, some very hard times. And Bailey, in his book, says this, the poet, talking about Cooper, addresses comforting words to the fearful, bids them remember their limitations of understanding. We can't understand everything God does. And boldly asserts his faith in the goodness of God in spite of all appearances. And so I think that was a, a great insight that you helped me with, uh, Greenleafs, and I appreciate that. Let's go back into the ironic blessing. We've seen several points. We've had two lessons on it. 
And we've said, first of all, this is our high priest lesson. This is Jesus. He's our high priest. And this is his blessing on us. And when we read this, the application, if you cannot see Jesus in the Old Testament, you're missing the point. And so we see Jesus blessing us here. It's to be understood personally. It's in the singular. The Lord bless you is meant to be said to the congregation, but it wasn't the Lord bless y'all. It was the Lord bless you, singular. And so he's blessing you. These blessings are God's gifts to us. And the visual that we get from the Hebrew is he's kneeling down, extending gifts to us, which is hard for us to imagine until we see that in the life of Jesus. Blessings receive their complete, uh, completeness only when we respond in act of faith. There's something we do to receive these gifts. We have to take these gifts and put them into practice in our lives. They include God's protection for us, his care for us, and also God's attitude toward his child can be summed up in a smile. We looked at that last week. He smiles at you. I have a second song. Now, I've been playing this song and encouraging you to sing because I want you to learn this. Perhaps next week we'll sing it as a congregation. So follow along with the music. Sing, uh, and I think uh, Ed's going to turn the music lower as you raise your voices. So go ahead and sing out with this song if you know it. And we'll try not to overpower you with the music, but just have that as an undergirding of the song. The Lord bless and keep you. lesson on what that word meant if you want to look back in our revelation series it has deep meaning also be gracious he says the lord be gracious what does that word gracious mean it's one of those abstract words and so we go back into the hebrew to see what's the concrete what is the picture the word picture that the hebrews had and interestingly it's camp this is the root word for gracious in the hebrew the Ab- Abraham, all the way, he's the first Jew, the first Hebrew. All the way back to him, these people lived in camps. They, something along this line, so it looks something like this. 
And these weren't just little pup tents. These were big tents. And they were, there sometimes would be 50, depending on how big this group is. And Abraham had like 400 servants. And so we, we're talking about a big camp, with, at least with Abraham. And they would be put into a circle in a protective way uh, to guard and protect. And that was the camp. Imagine yourself. You go out in the wilderness to tend your sheep, to hunt. It's not like today you get in your truck, you drive out, you do your hunting for the day, you come back. You are out there for days sometimes doing the work with the sheep or hunting. And so after several days, a week, maybe two weeks, you're tired, you're lonely, you're dirty, you're emotionally depleted, and you come back home and you come back over the hill and you see the camp. How do you feel when you see home, when you see the camp. Tolstoy writes uh, a long section of a soldier coming home after the war. And he is so excited as he gets into Moscow. And he's on, it's in the wintertime. He's on a sled. And he's just urging the driver to go faster and faster. And, and he's standing up and he's leaning forward as if go, his leaning forward can help the sled go faster. And he's like, where is everyone in that? Why, what, what light is on? Oh, that's my dad's study. His light's on. And he jumps out and says, where is everyone? He's expecting them to run out of the house and greet them. And they don't even know he's there until he opens the door and comes in. And all the excitement that happens as they embrace him and kiss him and welcome him home. And that's gracious. This graciousness of coming in is a place to rest. It's a place to clean up. It's a place to be fed, to be in good company, to, to experience love. And so this single word, home, sums up gracious. Gracious is abstract to us. Home is concrete. And this is a good home. This is a loving home. I know some of you have come from homes that are broken and disastrous. That's not this home. This is a home you're looking forward to coming to, that it's a wonderful place to come. And one author described this, this word. He said, I would describe it as a sight to behold. <sighs> what a great place to be, home. And this is the result of what we talked about last week, God's smiling face. When God smiles upon you, when God's face shines on, upon you, it's a sight to behold. It's his graciousness. And it's found in, three, in three, at least three different ways that I came up with. God's graciousness, his sight to behold, is embodied in Jesus. If you miss that, you miss the whole point. From the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1, verse 16 and 17. God's graciousness is restorative in body and mind and spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, May God himself, the God of peace, and we're going to see that at the end of this blessing, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. This is God's work in our life. And then God's graciousness is summed up in rest. Matthew chapter 11 says, Come to me, all you who weary and are, and are burdened, and I will give you rest. This is God's graciousness. Come on home, Jesus is saying. Come home. I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest in your souls. That's God's graciousness. So this idea of I'm coming home, and I'm coming home to a place that's welcoming and warm and lovely and great. May God's graciousness be upon us. And then he says this phrase, turn his face towards you or lift up his face. <clears throat> Many of the translations say lift his face. And the word behind this is to carry a burden. It's picking up something. And so it implies strength there. Uh, besides carrying a burden, it's also translated in many different ways. It's translated accept. It's translated carry, exalt. Interestingly, it's translated forgive. Forgive. It's translated pardon, raise, and more. I'm going to give you a concrete visual that comes from this word of what this, <coughs> what this means. So here I have, hey, sweetie, this is my little Marilyn. Marilyn... Elizabeth, uh, Drusilla, Grace. And the reason she's, we'll see how this works. Uh, the reason she's named that is after grandmothers and great-grandmothers. And Grace, because doctors said she's not supposed to be here. That's God's grace. He knows more than uh, doctors. You like everyone? She's like, I'm not sure. Want to say hi? So he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. Hi. The Lord make his, uh, by the way, her nickname is Cricket at this point. Uh, Daddy called her that, and I, I've taken that over. We'll, we'll see how that goes. So it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious. And then he says, the Lord lift his face up. Yeah, huh? Oh, you like that? Yeah. <laughs> I just hope she doesn't throw up on me. Yeah. She's doing good. And so that's, the, that's really the visual of this word. He lifts his face towards you. Yeah. And look at that. They smile when you do that too, don't they? There you go. There you go. There. All right. And that's, that's, that's what God is saying here. The Lord lifts up his face towards you. And so the Lord in his smiling face lifts you up above his head. And you can't help but smile when you're holding a child like that, right? And they can't help but respond back to you. And that's what this blessing is, to lift your face toward you. We can say, his face lit up. His face lit Oh, you want me to? I thought I was going to carry another one. <laughs> I, I was going to do that to Langi, my youngest grandson. But man, he is solid muscle. I don't know if I could lift him. I, I tried. I can one time. But that's about it. He's only four. But the Lord, you know, his face lights up when he sees you. It's this idea of lifting your face and catching your eye. You see, I haven't seen you in a while, James. I'm glad to see you. And that's what lifting his, his face towards you is. It's giving your fullest attention to someone. And it's something you do on purpose. He said to make his face or to turn his face. This is something God does on purpose. He, his lifting up is a, a choice. It's God's searching eyes looking for someone, looking to catch your attention. It's like we're in a crowd, and we've done, all of you did that this morning. You came in, and someone caught your eye, and they were glad to see you. And their face lit up, and they smiled, or they waved, and they looked at you in the eye. That's what this all refers to. There's a sense of excitement and delight 
We could paraphrase it this way. God locks eyes with you, and he says, I know you. And he separates you from the crowd. You're not just part of the crowd. You're a special person in God's sight. And we struggle with that. I'm a special, you are a special person. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 14, he speaks of us being a special treasure. And he's talking about Israel here. He says, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. You are, the word is jewel. You are his jewel. And we call sometimes someone we're, that's precious to us a jewel. And that's what he's saying. You are my jewel. You are my valued, special, good, uniquely my own, God is saying. And we say, well, is that true of us right now? And the answer is yes. First, Peter brings that Old Testament concept and places it right with us where he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And th this is the same word, a people belonging to God. Some of your translations will say a peculiar people. And that's an old English way of saying you're special. So if you call me peculiar, I'm just going to take it that you're calling me special. So you're a special, peculiar, treasured person to me. How do you respond to God's lifting his face to you? How do you respond to him lifting you above his head? How do you respond to God catching your eye out of the crowd and saying, I know you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here with me. And I believe how you deal with your sins exposes how you view God's lifting his face to you. Just as we saw that God lifts his shining, smiling face, and that light exposes our sin. That's the purpose of it. It exposes our sins. We have the choice to either run away and hide from him, hide our sins from him, or we run to him for cleansing and change. It depends on how you see God. If you see God as someone who's ready to punish you and hurt you, you're going to run away from God. When God locks eyes with us, do we turn our face away from him? Do we turn our face away in shame? Do we hide our face from his face? Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned. And the first thing they do is hide. They hide. And God comes in the garden, and this is, to me, I could spend a lesson on this. It's an expression of love. He says, where are you? God, who knew where they were. Who, who knew where they were, says, where are you? I'll play your hiding-and-seek game with you. Where are you? And his response is, well, you know, I, I, we did this, and we heard you. We heard your, you coming, and we hid. It says we, they hid from the Lord. Literally, there it says they hid from the face of God. God's face came into their presence, and they did the wrong thing. They ran away. They hid. When, we, when God lifts our face to us, we need to confidently affirm God's grace in our life and run to him. Over in, uh, there's many passages we can go to. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Let me read this. That's just part of it up there. Therefore, brothers, since we have, listen to this, confidence. We have confidence to enter the most holy place, come into the presence of God, the holy place, the most holy place, 
was, God, was symbolized God's face, his presence. And he says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Now listen, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us, not opened by us, but opened for us through the curtain that is his body, through Christ's sacrifice. And since we have a great high priest in the house of God, so he says, so you don't miss it. He says, yes, we have confidence to enter into the very presence of God's face. And as we have this confidence to enter, it's by his blood, it's by his sacrifice, it's because of him, because he's the great high priest. It centers you back on him. It has nothing to do with how good you are. It has everything to do with how good he is. And he says, since that's true, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, that's something God did, and having our bodies washed with pure water, I believe that's referring to baptism, washing our sins away, we have this confidence to meet God face to face. What does God do with mankind in a sin condition? What does God do? What's God's response to mankind's rebellion? And for many, we have come to believe that it is God's desire and his will to cast sinners into hell to suffer for eternity. We've kind of been taught that through our society, through things that we've read. And I want to say I'm going to be misunderstood, so let me try to clarify here. The enormity of our sins cannot be understated. I don't care if it's little sins or big sins. It cannot be understated. This separates us from God. And the bottom line of sin in my life is I want to get rid of God so I can be my own God. That's really what sin is. I want to be selfish. I want to live for myself. I want to, whatever little sin it is, I want to be that way because I want to be that way. So what is God's response to my rebellion? Because God loves his creation, because he loves us, he cannot bless man in his sins. He can't bless us in our sins. Because sin is that ultimate selfishness, it's this turning inward, it's living for myself, it's living with no regard for God or for others. And that can be summed up in one word. The Bible sums it up this in one word, death. I've worked with people who were struggling with sin breaking relationships, hurting, and they'll say things like, I'm dying. I'm dying. Not physically. What do they mean? Their soul is dying. Sin is killing. This is killing me, they'll say. Because that's what sin does. It kills you. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. It's not just a spiritual thing over here that's going to send me to hell. It's just my life comes apart. When I sin. And the person who lives in that condition, in this selfish condition, moves progressively more towards sickness of body, sickness of mind, sickness of emotions, sickness of soul. His relationships are marred, his mind is darkened, his soul is in death. That's what sin does. And God cannot bless death. God cannot bless that condition. 
God cannot bless what he, he, he will ultimately destroy. Uh, the, pa the passage in 1 Corinthians 14 or 15 says this. He says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. God's ultimate aim is he's going to destroy that which destroys. He's going to destroy death. He's going to get rid of it. And so God cannot lift his face in delight with sin and selfishness. So the wrath of God is dealing with sin. The wrath of God is destroying that which destroys. And the wrath of God, listen carefully, is the love of God dealing with sin and getting rid of it in your life. It's the love of God in action. The wrath of God is the love of God in action. So the face of God shining upon us, the face of God turned towards you is ultimately found where? In Christ. It's ultimately found in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and 6. Listen, I love this when I found that. The God of this age has blinded. Boy, we can just tie the whole blessing in with this passage. Has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel and the glory of God, of Christ. They can't see his shining, smiling face, who is the image of God, Christ, the image of God. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us a light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, in the presence of Christ, in the relationship of Christ. This is where it's all centered, in Christ. The glory of God in the face of Christ. The wrath of God is in the person of Jesus coming to deal with sin. This is what he did. He came, I'm going to deal with sin. This is how he lifted his face toward us in the coming of Jesus. As far as God is concerned, the Christian's blessed position is his face shining on you. We, and how we live out this reality of this relationship with Christ is a matter of how you put your faith into action. Sin is dealt with. For the Christian, sin is dealt with. You're cleansed. The words, you're redeemed. You're justified. These are wonderful words that I'm not going to explain. Uh, this word propitiation, it's used a couple of times in the Bible, is summed up in this. It's like God says, I'm, I'm taking, I'm making, I'm balancing the scales. That's what propitiation is. I'm taking care of it, and it's all done in Christ. Psalm 67. I think I have a couple of passages here. He takes, uh, the psalmist takes this blessing, and he makes a song out of it. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your ways may be known in all the earth, your salvation among the, the nations. And he says, goes on to say, may the, Lord, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May all the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. And he goes on and on. And so he says, may we praise you. And I've shared with you that word means may we brag about you. It's more than just singing some songs. It's us expressing what God has done to us in our lives. And so when we know what he's done to us in our lives, we can express it. We can talk about it. We can share about it. And it's more than just the words. It's how you're living your life. It's how you live your life. You praise God in how you live, not just the words you say. And you know that in your, all your relationships. To say someone, to someone, I love you, and then to treat them with disdain or hurt or 
pain doesn't match up. So our, our, our actions have to match up our words. God's graciousness demonstrated in Christ, given to us through his spirit, should result in a life transforming into gracious living. That's what we should be. That's what we should all be about. When God lifts up his face toward us, he smiles upon us, we have that relationship with, with him through Christ. If it doesn't result in gracious living, we've missed the point. And this only happens when you believe that God blesses us, protects us, smiles upon us. He's gracious. He lifts us up in love. And we apply these gifts to our lives. Last verse, one of the verses of the song we heard from God moves in a mysterious way. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Our elders are going to come forward as we sing a song. If you need to express anything to them that you want to share with the rest of the church, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing. Why keep Jesus waiting, waiting in the dark?